from WIS Politics in Madison. You're listening to Capital Chats. Hello, everybody. This is Kate Morton with WIS Politics here with a Capital Chats podcast brought to you by Spectrum. Today, I'm here in the Madison office with my colleague Adam Kellenhofer to talk about an interview he did with U.S. Representative Mark Pocan. So, Adam, how did that interview go? Hi, Kate. Yeah, the interview went well. I got to talk to uh, Pokan about the Israel-Hamas conflict. I thought it was interesting to get Pokan's perspective on this issue because he's been focused on this region for much of his career. We also talked about the House Speaker election, so let's just get right into things. Welcome to our show, U.S. Representative Mark Pokan. Uh, He's a Democrat from Madison, so welcome to the show, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Glad to be here. Awesome. Um, So I first wanted to start off with the Israel-Hamas conflict. Um, I know that you have been involved a lot um, with the Progressive Caucus and other uh, memberships uh, talking about Israel in the past. So I kind of wanted to get your perspective on what's going on with this whole conflict. So what are your general thoughts, basically? Yeah, um, well, I've been to the region three times over my 11 years. So um, early on my freshman term, then went about halfway through, um, spent a little more time on the Palestinian side than the Israeli side. And then the last time was a couple of years back around this time of the year. So um, three different perspectives. And uh, what's what's going on right now, I mean, clearly there was a horrific uh, attack on um, Israelis by Hamas, Hamas being, um, you know, by U.S. standards, a terrorist group, but it is also the governing entity in Gaza. Um, Gaza is complicated to begin with. It's essentially an open air prison and 2.3 million people don't have uh, access to go and come as they please. Uh, most of the gates are held by Israel, a couple by Egypt. Um, but, so it's already pretty rough conditions in Gaza. But uh, Hamas doesn't do the people any favors uh, in governing. And certainly uh, in their attack, it was a horrific attack that we all saw on October 7th and um, you know have spoken out against. Since then, um, Israel's been uh, retaliating. The problem is, uh, I don't think they're discerning the difference between Hamas and Palestinians who live in Gaza. There's 2.3 million people, half of which are kids, uh, in Gaza. And, you know, now 10,000 deaths, uh, over 4,000, 4,500 kids uh, killed. Uh, Clearly, kids are not terrorists are not Hamas. So, you know, that's a problem. And, you know, now we're trying to speak out against that because, you know, I think uh, Israel has every right to surgically go after Hamas, who did the dreadful attack, but just collective punishment, which is what this appears to be, you know, a quarter of the buildings in northern uh, Gaza have been destroyed. Um, You know, we're we're now hitting refugee camps and, and things like that. This seems to be uh, an overreaction, and this is where we're hoping the U.S. could step in and have more to say that President Biden could really talk to them and try to you know, make sure they're getting humanitarian aid, which has largely been blocked for the 2.3 million people, um, try to make sure there's humanitarian corridors for people, try to stop this wholesale uh, bombing that appears to be occurring, and uh, you know, really just try to stop loss of life period. At the same time, there's still missiles coming out of Gaza at uh, shooting at Israel. Um, Fortunately, Israel has the Iron Dome, which we help fund, which is a defensive weapon that just takes those uh, missiles out before someone's killed, and that's good. Um, But, you know, this is a problematic region that I've watched every time I've been there get a little worse. And, uh, you know, this, I think, is the culmination of a lot of that. 
Yeah, it has certainly been a tumultuous area for a very long time. Um, you mentioned uh, Israel should do more targeted attacks against Hamas. How do you think, uh, how should they go about, you know, like, are there any specific tactics you want to see used by Israel that they're not using right now? Well, I mean, they have supposedly the best intelligence in the world. They're one of the best intelligence agencies, although clearly this attack was missed. So I'm going to put an asterisk on saying that. But, you know, they do know where tunnels are and they do know where things are that um, most likely you're going to have people hiding. And you could use drones and other things for very specific targeted attacks that I don't think they're doing. What's happening right now is you're, you know, taking out hospitals or schools or, you know, bakeries, some of the few that are able to make bread right now um, in Gaza. And, you know, it's those those types of attacks, like literally when they're justifying a hospital because Hamas might be hiding in a part of it, you're still taking out a hospital, right? And uh, that's a problem, especially when the type of uh, bombs, the the literally thousands and thousands and thousands of bombs that have been hurled there, um, you know, that's of concern. So we just want it to be strategic and targeted towards Hamas. They have every right to go after the thousand people that were part of what uh, committed that atrocity on, on the 7th of October. But, you know, 2.3 million people are clearly not Hamas. And I think the, the 10,000 lives um, it seems to be uh, being done in a collective punishment way. And I, I don't think that's a good approach. Mm. Do you... Um... <clears throat> Do you think the United States should uh, intervene at all or aid Israel or, um, you know, work to kind of get rid of Hamas in any sort of way? Well, I, I think, you know, we've, we're very involved already, right? We help fund Iron Dome. We actually do fund a lot of their um, arms that they also have and use. Uh, and uh, we're, we're a very strong uh, supporter of Israel financially, right? We provide a little bit of money, uh, literally dime, not even dimes on the dollar, probably pennies on the dollar to Gaza, specifically to UNRWA, the UN, to fund. Uh, UNRWA feeds about 1.2 million people a day. They school about 300,000 children and they have some clinics. Um, but if they weren't there, it would be Hamas doing that as the governing entity, and they don't do very much for the people in Gaza. So, um, you know, I think the best thing we can do is the recently appointed a special envoy. Some of us have been asking that for years to give it more attention to that region. But, you know, really, we should be moving, trying to bring folks together to peace and a ceasefire and uh, a place where you don't have missiles going into or out of anywhere uh, in the region. And I think the U.S. could do more in that way. And I, I think the president really is the key person because you're not going to see much come out of this dysfunctional Congress, but you could, you know, the White House really does have the gravitas to affect more. And, and I think that's why we're often now writing letters to the president, trying to encourage him to do some some of that. Do you, do you think the U.S. or would you support or oppose the U.S. Uh, putting actual military boots on the ground in uh, in Palestine or Israel at all? I don't think anyone's proposing that, but I wouldn't support that regardless, just like I don't support that in Ukraine. Um, I think the problem is with the, the level of bombing and the way it's being looked at in the region, that could bring Hezbollah in and, and maybe Iran more directly in. And mm. if that happens then very likely, you know, we could be asked to be there. I don't ever want to see a single American man or woman going, uh, whether it be there or Ukraine or any uh, other war, if we don't have to. So again, that's another incentive for the United States to say, look, um, you know, this bombing is not accomplishing your goals. Uh, you're actually, um, you know, bringing in potentially other countries. Uh, it's time to have a, a regroup of what 
you're trying to do. And I don't think we've ever seen what they want to do. And I think that is one of the things we're asking for right now. In fact, uh, Alexandria Acosta-Cortez and Betty McCollum and I are doing a letter and that's one of the asks is what is the plan here? Like, cause just blowing things up and killing kids um, isn't a plan, right? Like what it, does this look like? What does a victory look like? And what does this look like when it's all done? Just lately, we've started to see a few things and so far those are pretty bad ideas. So all the more reason for the United States to be involved. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely an interesting situation, and I do I do want to move on to the the future of the house soon. But I have uh, just a couple more questions about uh, Ukraine. It does have to do with the house though, still. Um, yeah. So there have been proposals to split uh, Ukraine and Israel uh, aid for you know both the countries that are in conflicts. Um, what do you think of that kind of proposal? Should those uh, deals be split up? Well, it's not traditionally done that when the president gives you a supplemental. In fact, if anything, I'm hearing from the Senate, they might combine the domestic supplemental with the inter the security supplemental, which would be, you know, I could see those separate because that's how the president gave them to us, but they may come as one big vote. So, you know, um, the security supplemental has the, the bulk of it, I think 63 billion or so is uh, Ukraine aid and then another 14 point, I think three or 14, 45 is uh, Israeli aid, about 10 billion is humanitarian aid. That's all for the entire planet for the next year. Isn't a very robust amount. Um, and I wish that lumber was larger. And there's some border money also in the security supplemental. And then the domestic supplemental has childcare and some other issues. So I, I'm not sure. I, mean, I think whatever the Senate does will be done with adults in the room, unlike the House, where you know they started pulling something off and then saying you're going to have the IRS agents pay for it. I mean, you know, I know it's a new speaker, but amateur hour is continuing here. So, you know, we are counting on the Senate to probably give us whatever responsible package we'll be looking at. Uh, you actually touched on my next question. The uh, the the IRS funding, uh, pulling IRS funding to kind of account for that uh, funding for Israel at $14 billion. Um, a lot of people have noted that that's going to reduce, you know, the collections that IRS is able to bring in, which would reduce overall tax revenue. Um, do you have any thoughts about that kind of proposal to pull IRS funding? Yeah, I mean, it's a bad idea, but isn't it ironic that the very people who fund Republican campaigns are the wealthy donors that won't have IRS agents looking at their uh, taxes owed? Gee, I'm sure there's nothing to do with that fact. Um, you know, that's why it's a bad idea, right? I mean, we need to make sure that People who owe taxes pay taxes. It's often the wealthiest and some corporations that don't. And that's what a lot of these positions would do is make sure people are paying their fair share like you and I do. And um, that's why I think uh, it's a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, now we can move on to the speaker election. Sure. So uh, it took quite a while for Republicans to rally behind uh, one person and elect them. Um, do you think, is that a sign that, uh, the House Republican Caucus is going to do a lot of uh, important bills this session, or are they, you know, going to struggle to to rally behind things? I think the chaos continues. You know, you remember the the thing: if you first you don't succeed, try, try again. Here we're try, 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 try. I think I'm forgetting my tries. Try again. That seems to be the mantra. And you know, we're we're doing right now. We're doing appropriation bills that are going absolutely nowhere because we didn't 
mark them to the agreement that we made when we lifted the debt ceiling. So I call this period fantasy Congress, you know, for people who play fantasy football, at least they have fun doing it. We don't on playing fantasy Congress, but we're here a lot to do it. Um, so this is my ninth week in a row here, not, you know, back home, getting around the district, hearing what people are thinking. But um, nonetheless, uh, I, I'm guessing the um, sort of patheticness of this Congress will continue uh, till the end of this session. So I take it you're not hopeful the appropriations process is actually going to work as it uh, previously did in past sessions under. No, this is this is the first year, you know, even through Trump, we still got appropriations worked. It wasn't broken. I watched other committees where, you know, you'd go to the your committee and uh, your job is to essentially spit on your colleagues and, uh, you know. Uh, mouth gets pretty dry doing that. And uh, I'm on appropriations and, you know, we never did that. We still had the one bill that absolutely has to pass or the 12 bills really that have to pass, even if it comes in a different form. This session that all got broke when Kevin McCarthy became speaker on the 15th vote, um, he gave away a lot to get to that point, including putting some of the most extreme members of his caucus on a committee that used to function and now it doesn't. So that's part of why, you know, we're marking bills up against the agreement um, the agreement was no riders and they're throwing all kinds of riders around abortion and pride flags and diversity, equity, inclusion. But things ultimately aren't going to go anywhere because the Senate Republicans, Democrats are the adults and they've passed bills. 24 to four was the worst vote I think they had in committee and they had unanimous votes because they're doing their jobs. So my guess is, fortunately, the, the Senate, whatever they had, will ultimately be closest to what the final bills are that you know go through Congress Unfortunately, for someone like me who respects the institution, I mean, the, the appropriations process this year has been um, broken like the rest of Congress. Um, yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, former Speaker McCarthy. He had quite a few deals, actually, with the White House, uh, long term deals regarding funding um, to you know cut future funding in return for temporary funding, which, you know, that. That deal was broken or not, depending on who you ask. Um, do you think Mike Johnson is going to uphold those deals that McCarthy made with the White House, or is he is he going to renege on them? But oh, you know, God knows, and I mean that actually real this time. It's not a figure of language. I think our new speaker, um, you know, uh, doesn't necessarily think he's bound by anything that Kevin had, but um, you know, comes from a very extreme position in his caucus and. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to live up to the agreements. Even right now, we thought we were going to have a clean continuing resolution when he was running for speaker. And um, he's now uh, talking about this laddered approach, which is have different bills at different dates just so we can have more dysfunction on more dates. So no, it, it's a completely idiotic idea. And if they decide to go that path, um, he's clearly not going to live up to the agreement. So I don't know what to expect. Um, you know, the chaos in Congress continues. Um, just now we're in a sequel uh, for the 19th vote, I guess, sequel. And uh, but I, I don't think um, we quite know what the new speaker is going to do because he is so new. Yeah, um, well, it'll be very interesting to watch the House and the um, the speakership, see where it goes in the, the near future. But um, that is all I have time for for this episode of Capital Chat. So I very much appreciate you coming on the show today, uh, Representative Pocan. It was a pleasure. Yeah, no problem, Adam. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, one sec. Well, Adam, thanks for sharing that interview with us. But in the meantime, if our listeners want to learn more about the things going on in Washington, they can head to our website at wispolitics.com for our DC Wrap newsletter.
That's right, Kate, and it's important to note that's actually a free product. But for now, I'm Adam Kelnoffer. I'm Kate Morton. Thanks for tuning in to Wispolitics Capital Chats, brought to you by Spectrum. Spectrum.